Okay, listeners, welcome back to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Uh, you're tuned in to AM 1340. We got a great show for you tonight. We got a special guest just, uh, special guest with us here tonight. And as usual, we will be playing some really cool music. So sit back and let's boil some tires and uh, listen to some songs here shortly. What do you got queued up for us there, Lee? Cool.
Okay, boys and girls, we're back on the air. Uh, just a couple updates. Um, we have changed our email address. It is now, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at uh, golfstreamradio at gmail.com. So if you want to send us a, a, uh, an, an inquiry or any kind of uh, questions or anything like that, car-related, of course, send us an email at, G, at uh, golfstreamradio at gmail.com. And also, since we have a special guest with us tonight, we're going to do something I don't always do, and that is we're going to do call-in. So if you want to call in, dial, if you're in the 727 area code, 441-3000. Or if you're out of the area, you can dial toll-free, write this down now, 1-866-826-1340. Again, that is 866-826-1340. And for the local guys... 441-3000. And now it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening, John. And uh, he's a well-known, noted master auto appraiser, auto historian, and he's just been around for a long time. Wow. He used to do a lot of drag racing, a lot of street racing. He's got stories from Clearwater to the Midwest to Michigan to all over. So without further ado, John, welcome to the show. Damn, yesterday was my 62nd birthday, man. You're really making me feel old. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we had Gary King on one time, <laughs> and he was on the day after his birthday, too. So, happy birthday. Yeah, right. It's really relative at this point in time. Anyway, thanks, Rob. I appreciate you asking me to come on the show. Okay. And uh, Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention one more right. thing. You used to have your own radio show. And what was that I called? Did. It was called This Old Car. This Old Car. So, many of you people may remember John from This Old Car. About 10 years worth. Yeah. Okay, what radio station was that? And that was another radio station. That so. was another one, but that was uh, that was a CBS affiliate. Uh-huh. Uh, 10, 10, something or other. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Actually, you guys had Imus back then, too, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Okay. So, we're, uh, we're <laughs> following in your footsteps over here. Well, I tell you, funny thing. Never mind. I don't even want to get into the Imus thing. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, tell us. Where do you want to start? Tell us about. I don't uh, care. Well, I know the other day when we were talking, you had some really, really cool stories, you know, about your Wonder Bread days. And uh, so you're from where, Louisville? I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. Correct. Okay. And uh, I've been down here for now going on 25 years. It's uh, it's interesting how this all started. And first of all, um, I'm not not only an appraiser. An appraiser is just a person who who goes out and does a task for somebody, whether it's an insurance company or whatever. And and, uh, and that's, that's different than being a car nut, you know, mm-hmm. and growing up with that stuff. And I have to tell you, you know, being, being my age, I, I look at all this stuff now, and of course, muscle cars tend to be a very big focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, that focus is, by the way, going to dwindle. You can count on that's going to happen as this age group starts to, to get older. But nevertheless, I was telling a story to someone the other day. My high school parking lot when I graduated in 1966 in Louisville, Kentucky, looked like a Barrett-Jackson auction. Amazing. You know? And, and all original <laughs> stuff, too. Yeah, all original stuff, sure. <coughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it, and I think pretty much what I, what I do comes from knowledge learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not from, you can't pick up a book and you can't listen to tapes and, and really do do what I do. If I could teach somebody to do what I do, I'd love to do it. But, um, but people's attention spans are different, and, uh, and so much of it is, is common sense. It's knowledge learned. Well, yeah, and then not only that, too, but it's just like you said. I mean, those of us that have been there, done that, got multiple T-shirts to prove it, 
Uh, there's no substitute for that because you can pick up magazines, you can read the articles, you can read stuff because you used to write. Matter of fact, you at one point you told me you used to teach a course over at University of South Florida. I did. I caught for two two years. I taught a, a two hour four credit course that started off. Uh, I spent the whole summer 1993 putting together a lesson plan, an outline, and uh, uh, it was on American automotive history. Well, as as I'm doing this. Of course, I'm going back to day one. I'm going back to, to the early days of brass era cars and how this all evolved into this and this. First class, get in there. I'm in there maybe two minutes. And I figure, you know what? These kids want to know about muscle cars. There you go. That was it. That was it. That's all they wanted. And it, it was fun to do. And, and I think a lot of people learned a lot. Um, too bad they don't do that now. I know. I wish I'm, I'm looking back and I'm thinking about that. I said that would have been a really cool credit to have back in uh, the days when I was in school. But, you know, it's interesting because in 1972, uh, I was in high school in 10th grade. I guess that's what I was. But anyway, we had uh, in Clearwater High School, our teacher's name was Earl Schreiner and a really, really cool guy. And he was a big Corvair collector, but he was also an engineer. Right. And he somehow persuaded the school to do this class and was called Small Engine Shop. And it was probably the pilot program, one of the first ones in this area, at least in Pinellas County area that I'm aware of. And it was a three-hour course. And back then in 72, at Clearwater High School, we had, um, I think we had like split shifts. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we started out with lawnmowers and lawnmower engines. But the problem was he was a car guy. And a lot of the guys that were in my class were also car guys. I was a car guy. And we either had our driver's license, or no, excuse me, we were getting close to get our driver's license or somebody in the family had a driver's license. And this course was offered 72, so 72, 73. And I got my license in the fall of 72, in October of 72. So that's when I turned 16. So was that 10th grade, 11th grade? I'm somewhere around there. At any rate, um, so Mr. Schreiner would let us go and work, he'd bring his Corvair engines in. Mm -hmm. And we'd work on his Corvair engines. And then the cool stuff was is that he says, you know, we need some parts for these things. You know, somebody's going to have to make a run to a junkyard. Well, you know, guess what? At that point, getting towards the uh, fall, I already had my driver's license. I was the only one in the class who could drive, except for a couple other guys that were a year or two ahead of me. So then we started going to the junkyards. And so for three hours, you were only supposed to go down the road, you know, for an hour or so and go to the local junkyard. There was at that time in Clearwater, we had... Uh, what we have, we had um, Clearwater Automotive, and then there was one up on Hercules. Mm -hmm. And uh, but but it was just really cool just to be able to disappear and go in the junkyard. So that really started my junkyarding escapades. <laughs> but just like you said, there's no substitute for because here I'm a little 16 year old little punk. I'm in junkyards and I'm rooting around, taking things apart. And just like when you were 16, what was your first car when you had when you were 16 when you were in high school and you said all those cars? You had basically a Barrett Jackson parking lot. So what mm -hmm. were some of the cars that were in that parking lot, and what did you have? The week before I turned 16, um, <laughs> my grandfather had been a, a, a regional vice president for A&P Company, all right, the, the food chain. Oh, right? supermarket, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm living at home, and, and uh, one of the guys that managed one of his stores had a 1951 Plymouth. Mm. I mean, this old car is beat up. It just... It was rough, but you know what? It was mine. I paid $75 for it. <laughs> Never driven a standard transmission car in my life, right? So, uh, didn't even have a driver's license. So, I, I get this thing home in the middle of the night, and I hide it. And uh, my grandfather comes in the next day, and he's screaming. He said, where'd that car come from? What is that? I said, it's mine. <laughs> 
And he looked at me, and he started laughing. He said, who'd you get it from? I told him the guy's name, uh, John Morgan, actually, was his name, not the same term, but his mm-hmm. guy's name is Morgan. And he got on the horn, called Morgan, said, you're fired. Fired him because he gave you a car for $75? <laughs> so he, uh, oh, man, it, I mean, it was a piece of junk. Anyway, Morgan came over and got the car back. And, uh, and we, went to, uh, we went to the Pontiac store, and I got a brand-new GTO. Brand-new GTO, 1966? Nope, 1965. 65? Yeah. 389, four-speed car, by any chance? Tri-power four-speed car. Tri-power four-speed car. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of neat. It was an expensive car, too. Uh, if I remember correctly, $2,900. $2,900? Was yeah. it a post car or a hard top? No, it was hard top. Hard top. Mm-hmm. Good old days. Those were good old days. Gas, tires, and oil. GTO. Yeah, well. Gets, tickered oil. Gets tickets often. That's what it was. Or garbage truck and overdrive. We all had all kinds of nicknames for GTOs back in those days. So were you inherently then a Pontiac guy after that? No, not necessarily. Are you no? kidding? No. It was... Uh, I was just the one. I was one of many. You got to realize, back in those days, any kid working in a gas station making forty dollars a week could afford four hundred horsepower. And a lot of a lot of people seem seem to not understand that. Uh, financing was easy, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it was just they wanted them out on the road. They got them out on the road. So the only thing was insurance was probably probably the oh that prices, cost more than the car that cost more than the car sure. Yeah, so then you had to put it either in your mom's name or your dad's name or Correct. something like, yeah. Correct. I know I went through that, too, in 1972. Yeah, I went to 72. I tried to buy a 69 Shelby GT500 convertible. It just rolled around here, and I happened to see it. So the car at that time was $2,500 was the asking price. The negotiable price was like two grand. Right. So, and the, everybody used to, you know, you, you were always warned ahead of time. Mm-hmm. When you call the insurance company, tell them it's a V8 manual mm-hmm. transmission. Problem was, is they had the books in front of them, and if you give them the serial number, and in the case of a Ford, that's unlike the, a Chevrolet, that's exactly right. They could tell, they could tell with the VIN number. Uh, although Pontiac hit it on those cars because they hit it as a Tempest, as a Tempest, as a Le Mans Tempest. All right, so there really was no designation in the VIN number that the insurance company beat you up on. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, Ford's that was a little different story with the Ford. Of course, the Ford had the engine code in the VIN number. So did Mopar. So <laughs> Mopar so, guys, the Ford guys got killed. Uh, Chevy guys, you got away with it. But you know what? I tell you, inter- <coughs> interesting story. About a month later, after that, my neighbor's father, one of my best friends, his father was selling his '57 Chevy convertible, and this was a 283, 270 car, two four barrels, three speed on the column. Mm. black silver red interior and a 411 gear factory car 270 car is a real deal and i ended up buying that car for 450 dollars wish you had it today yeah nah <laughs> are you kidding i wore the, i wore that car out i wore that car out in about three months sold it and made a profit on it, as happy as a speckled pup what is the most notable car that you own in the muscle car era that you had that you really liked that maybe you might want back today or wouldn't mind having oh no the first e-body the first challenger that was delivered to louisville kentucky was delivered to dixie dodge on shelbyville road in uh, st matthews a suburb of louisville and uh i bought the car my grandmother bought the car for me (laughs) these times were so wonderful and uh but Bought the car for me, sight unseen. Paid thirty six hundred dollars, I think thirty seven hundred dollars. Four forty six pack car, mm. um, four speed or automatic. No, it was a slapstick. Slapstick and, automatic. Uh, okay. had, had a four ten Dana. Um, 
Interesting thing about it, I never saw the car until they had the unveiling. It sat on the showroom floor for almost six weeks before uh, before I got the car. What color was it? Plum crazy. Plum white, crazy. White interior. All right, stunning car. Oh, outstanding car. And mm-hmm. uh, it, you know that 410 gear was an airplane gear in that car. Mm-hmm. It would just it would go forever. See that gets back to the appraisal end of it. You know, you you're talking. So you were there, been there, done that, owned the cars. You knew the cars when right. they were new. Probably worked on them. And, the, and and that's what a lot of people don't realize today when they hire appraisers. There's a lot of appraisers, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but they um, they just get a bogus certification, something they subscribe to on the Internet, and they get some little piece of paper that says they completed some little correspondence course, and then hence right away they think they're appraisers, and they're not. True? Correct. I, I, and I think probably the, the, the worst situation that there is are so many people now that, that are interested in getting into the collector car hobby for the first time, never been in it before. They've been pushing a pencil or chewing grass or whatever it's been doing for their for their whole life. But now they got a little bit of you know they got some chips in their pocket, mm-hmm. and they want to they want to have their little piece of Americana. Right. So they'll see a car for sale. They live in California. They'll see a car for sale in Florida, and immediately because maybe it's coming from a dealer um, or whatever the case it doesn't make any difference. They think this is a restored car. It's an, it's like a new car. Um, there's a national appraisal group mm-hmm. that uh, that seem to uh, seem to prey on these people. I I don't care if I they're called American Appraisal Group. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy that makes the decisions for these people, and I believe he's in Scottsdale, Arizona. And what he's done is he's provided protected territories around the country uh, for people to buy in and go out and do these cars. He's got a 10-page checklist. They spend two hours going through. Most of the time, don't know how to open the hood. And then they send all of this back to Scottsdale. He looks at it. He's the one who puts a number on it and sends it out. Bottom line is, almost 100% of the time, it ends up in a no sale. Um, most, Most basically, I think the reason because the people are very confident that if they just beat the car to death, it results in a no sale. They're not held responsible for anything that they might say. They just don't have any knowledge. And then they still collect the fee for going out there and doing an, a, Abs- an appraisal on yeah, the car. Absolutely. And I, I wish I collected their fee. Yeah, it's amazing. Hey, we're going to uh, take a break here. Well, we got queued up late, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about values on cars. Is that okay with you, John? Sure, it works for All me. Right. For you guys, you're out there uh, listening, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We're on AM 1340. If you want to call in, 441 3000. Or if you're on the toll number, call 866-826-1340. So we'll be right back. This is Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
You're back with Nostalgic Radio and Cars and our special guest tonight, uh, John Hackett. He's a local appraiser, a master appraiser, and an automotive historian, car guru, car collector extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> before the show, we were talking, or before the break, we were just talking a little bit about um, uh, cars and the, and the appraisal industry a little bit. We're going to get into values here a little bit. But again, if you guys want to call in, 441 3000, or if, on, if you're on the toll number, 866 826 1340. If you want to email us, you can email us at golfstreamradio at gmail.com. Now, you got a little, uh, you want to do a little giveaway tonight, don't you? you yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll play a little bit of uh, trivia. A little bit of trivia here. Okay, in a few cool. Minutes. Yeah. All right, for you listeners out there, here's an opportunity to win a nice, well, I'm going to let John explain it to you. I'll tell you what, I collect, huh, things collect me. But anyway, I've got, a, I've got a pretty decent literature collection. And they're one of the fine things to do if you're an automotive person and you don't have a lot of room to keep some cars or store a lot of parts or whatever. Literature is always a fun thing to collect. And, uh, and what I brought to give away was, uh, it's a 1978 Silver Anniversary Corvette sales brochure. Now, this is brand new. It's never even been opened up. Actually, it was opened up one time when Robert did it earlier. I opened and, it. I'm uh, guilty. That's right. But it's, uh, it, it's really a nice piece of literature. And when you open it up all the way, I think it's, uh, it's six-fold. When you open it up all the way, it's a picture anthology of the Corvette from 1953 to 1978. They frame up really nice and make a nice addition to anybody's house. So uh, this, is, this is really a nice piece. Retail, if you go to buy one of these, probably in this condition, it would be $40, $45. So anyway, I'm going to give it away. And we're going to have a trivia question here in a minute for this thing. All right, good. So, all you guys, remember, 441-3000-866-826-1340 or golfstreamradio at gmail.com. Let's talk about cars. Sure. Let's talk about values a little bit. Okay. And uh, and markets. What, uh, I mean, we were talking earlier a little bit about the muscle car market. We know that's going to taper just a little bit. The stuff's gotten kind of realistic now. I think there will always be a demand to some extent. And, and I would say, all right, let's just say I'm in my 50s. All right. And you're just a year or two older than me. Yes. So, uh, and uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and then my son's a few years behind me. So, you know, he's going to be interested because I'm interested right. and you're still interested. And so I would, if I had to guess, if, if I said that the muscle car era is probably good for another 10, 12, maybe 15 years where I think it's fairly strong and then the interest might change. But in the meantime, you've got other markets. You still have big American classics, you know, like the old pre-war stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got your 55 to 64 American car. I mean, true Americana, like your big Chevrolets, your big Chryslers, your big Fords, mm-hmm. your big Dodges. So elaborate on that a little bit. Tell us what you uh, tell us your feelings a little bit on that from your experiences, because you go to auctions, you see these beautiful collections around the country, and you've traveled all over to to uh, do pre-purchase inspections. So. Tell us about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been a lot of fun. I've been, been all over Europe and, uh, and all over the States looking at cars for people. And, uh, and on, generally, as an investment, uh, there's a difference, folks, between an, an investment car and a driver-quality car. A huge, huge difference. Um, I've, I've, I've worked with portfolio managers. I've worked with people that, uh, that, are, that are looking for long-term investments. And... Uh, and that gets to be a rather tricky situation because it's, it's speculating. But I've always believed this, that you can't pay too much for the right car. Okay. You can buy it too soon, but you can't pay too much for it. Uh, rare and desirable, 
always sell at the top of the line. The way this market got to be out of whack to begin with was, uh, <laughs> we can say it was the importers from Miami years ago that, mm. uh, that had a whole lot of excess cash mm-hmm. and, uh, and started this trend with, uh, with muscle cars and exotics. It carried over the real estate boom, put a lot of money in people's pockets. They had a lot of places to go uh, with a lot of money to buy, buy cars. And you saw it in the auction results as they, they went tenfold in some cases in a very short period of time. I, that's, that, to me, that's not, that's not real money. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, it is, it, it, it is what it is. It's what somebody's willing to pay. It's what somebody's willing to pay for a vehicle. And listen, you look at Barrett-Jackson and Dana Meekham's auction, some of the other ones, you see the same players show to show to show. Mm-hmm. Each one of them might have a little different blonde hanging on their arm. But, <laughs> but they're, they're, the same, they're the same players. You see the same cars going from, from show to show, yeah, from, from auction to, to auction. That's exactly right. And that's what they are. They're glorified car shows. That's it. That's exactly right. They're made for TV shows. Mm-hmm. Entertainment. Glitz and glitter. But the, the extremes that have been hit will never be done again. And I'll, I'll tell you why. What's going to put a quash on all of this is when the IRS puts capital gains tax on these vehicles. And that's what we're talking about doing after the first of the year. And, bud, that's going to bring everything back down to reality. Going back, were you an, an, an observation I made in the, because you, you, you look at the, you kind of want to look at the typical profile of today's buyer mm-hmm. versus the buyer of the car. The first time I went to a Barrett-Jackson Bear, auction was in 1989. Mm-hmm. And um, the cars that were there were the big, giant American classics, the custom-bodied right. Packards, the custom-bodied Cadillacs. And I, right. will, I, I was just mesmerized. Matter of fact, at one Barrett-Jackson auction, they had a... Hawkers, I can't which the airplane, the one with the fold up wings. It's a Hawkers. Somebody out there, if you know what it is, you know, email us or give you us a call. Are talking about the Fokker, the one that the, the wind? The uh, oh, no. Well, yeah, they made a Fok, yeah, Fok okay. Wolf, but this is okay. a Hawker something or other. But so it's, it basically was the, the, the plane that they used yeah. in, uh, in the Pacific Coast uh, in World War II that was on basically a carrier plane. Okay. Right. So that plane brought $1.8 million. Mind boggling. Okay. Of course, you put it in terms of a P 51, they're three and four million these days. Whether that's relative or not, who knows? But the big American classics back then were bringing. I remember sold, so 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 sold. World great, uh, world's uh, highest price paid for a nineteen, you know, thirty-two Duesenberg J model, formerly owned by Gary Cooper or somebody like that. You know, right. so and then, of course we'll get into that too. You know, celebrity status and celebrity value on top of a car, mm-hmm. but. The muscle cars, now a real good friend of mine out there used to work for Barrett-Jackson and restored cars. So he sold his 1970 uh, Plum Crazy Hemi Car Challenger 4-speed mm-hmm. black vinyl top SE. Okay, so it was an SE. It's a rare car. It's a rare car. $56,000. At that time, you heard, sold, 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 sold. Here, sure. Barrett-Jackson, world record paid for, sure. you know, a 1970 Hemi Cuda, or mm-hmm. Hemi Challenger. Mm-hmm. And Drew Alcazar, who I know personally also, he's a friend of mine. Not real well, but he, but I know him well enough. He used to restore Mustangs. He's out of San Diego. Now, he runs Russo and Steel. Drew brought a 1969 428 Mach 1 Cobra Jet 4-speed car. That car brought $38,000. The going rate at the time on that mm-hmm. car was a quarter. So now here you are, fast forward 
into 2004, 2005, 2006, those cars are pushing excess $100,000. But the big American classics that were excess a million dollars, those cars are $800,000, $700,000. So the times have changed because the profile of the buyer has changed. So you don't have the guy that was in his 70s and 80s that recalled that. You know, I think a lot of the cars, the, the purchases are are predicating on the the values are predicated on on the buyer because it's either a guy that can relate to that car, identify with that car, own the car, which is in the case, you know, most of us nowadays that have muscle cars. Or that's our age buy bidding for him. Well yeah, that too. And so <laughs> when now when you're talking about, right. you know, the value's getting the value's getting back to reality, mm-hmm. now these cars are coming down to the, the big American classics are have kind of settled a little bit. They're in the $500,000 million range. Very exceptional cars, obviously more. Your muscle cars are, you know, they're under $100,000 now, where they were in the, in the $200,000 range. Your big American classics, like your 55 to 64 full-size, the Dodges, the E-cars, the E-Chrysler, um, E-G, uh, letter cars, for example, they're worth big money. And again, exception to the rule, but let's say a, a big block Chevrolet, a big block Ford, um, those cars are all in the what would you say fifty to seventy five thousand in some cases hundred thousand dollar range. So that's probably realistically priced. Am I am I close? Well, it comes down value it, value as opposed to condition. In other words, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we were talking about that Dick Harrell's ZL one car, for instance. Okay. Um, Tell everybody what that is, so I think for the oh, people that don't listen. Oh, in nineteen sixty nine, uh, they made fifty. Camaros that came out of the factory with the uh, with the RPO ZL1 427, all aluminum option car, all right? And uh, those 50 cars went two different places. Gibbs got one, got, got 30 of them. Harold, Dick Harrell out in Kansas City got 20 of them. Hmm. And then they dispersed them from their dealership to some of the other dealerships around the country. Okay, so Nikki could have got one, Baldwin could have got one, well, sure, sure. and but, so on. But as far as the actual ZL1 car that came directly to those two dealerships, mm-hmm. they, uh, they, there were only 50 of them. Uh, 11 are known to be left with their exact factory original drivetrain. They were race cars. They were built to race. Purpose-built cars. Correct, and aluminum blocks back then didn't have the tolerances or could take the take the heat that's generated now so they detonated pretty quickly mm-hmm. and you could get you could get ce blocks uh, crate exchange blocks to replace mm-hmm. them but to have one with the original drive anyway this this car belongs to a, a person i know quite well and uh, it's car number 15 that went to dick harrell very documented car one of the best known that there is it's a million dollar car okay and it may fluctuate up and down and up and down and up and down but the bottom line is it's always going to be on the top of the food chain for muscle cars. Now, you're going to see the other Camaros, they're going to drop like a stone. But the very special cars are always going to stay up. And, uh, and that, that's going to be the difference is, mm-hmm. is quality is always going to – quality and rarity is always going to play out when it comes to muscle cars. But the rest of the stuff is um, – over the years, I think you're going to see it really drop. And how much does race history impact the value? Pro- provenance means a lot, but it has to be a really verifiable provenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, I know someone that bought a bought a 61, 61 yeah, I think it was a 61 um, 413 Super Stock Plymouth, mm-hmm. all right? With this car came the original... Time sheets, little times. Oh boy, sh- sh- things that they the got. Slips, yeah. The day they took it to the drag strip when they bought it. 
And along with it also came a picture of that car the day they bought it at the drag strip. Mm -hmm. That gives provenance to a vehicle. Gotcha. See, so, so, so if, if someone were a potential, I mean, I don't know if we like to use the word investment, but I guess you could say you're going to invest in a car. The neat right. thing about cars is you can drive your car. It's not like a piece of art hanging on the wall or a piece of jewelry. Well, you can wear jewelry and you can wear watches and stuff like that. But there's a lot of collectibles that you just you can't really interact with them that much like you can right. in a car. So from that perspective, if you were a buyer today looking for something, what what would you encourage somebody to do? What, what cars would you encourage them to look at from kind of the inspect the investment angle of it and or um t uh w which i'm, I'm guessing well, is first of, first of all it's like a piece of artwork mm -hmm. you're never going to hang something on the wall never that you don't like that's true all right so number one you have to like it and that's why there have been some ten thousand different american cars built over the years mm -hmm. i mean everybody there's different tastes but if, if I were talking to someone who was just seriously into a long-term investment, and let's say they don't like muscle cars. Right. right. Say, yeah, there's too many. Um, Ferraris. Oh, really? <sighs> Vintage Ferraris? 12-cylinder Ferrari. Listen, let's get something straight real quick. Okay. A real Ferrari has 12 cylinders. That's true. Okay? Okay. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're in the front. Exactly. And they're well, prior to... Well, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe yes. But, okay. But nevertheless... For the most part, 12 cylinders. Yeah, the 288 GTO. Uh, one of the greatest investments there is in the world. Um, That's a V8, though, isn't it? The 288? No, 288's not. No, 288 is a 12-cylinder car. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. Are you kidding? million dollars for a V8? That ain't going to happen. Okay. Um, but the, 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 G, the GTO Ferraris mm -hmm. um, are, are, are fantastic. Um but go further back, I like the classics. I like the great American classics. Okay. I like, I like Packard's. Um, I like... You t tell us what year now you're, looking, you're talking well, about. Well, listen, first of all, let's get something straight what a classic is. Okay, right? yeah, tell us what a classic is. A classic is a car that was built between 1926 and 1942 and designated as a classic car by the Classic Car Club of America. There's no gray area there. It's very specific. A Tucker is not a classic. Okay. All right? By definition. By definition. Okay. That's exactly right. Now, that what that is is a car of specific performance, innovation, and style. Mm -hmm. All right? So not all cars built between 1926 and 1942 are classics. Okay. It's just the ones designated by the Classic Car Club of America. And I think those always will be great investments. And now they're starting to come down a little bit. They peaked. They got, they got very high. Mm -hmm. But you look at the great collectors, the people that really have wonderful collections, and they all have vested classics, mm -hmm. every one of them. So we're talking Cords, we're talking Auburns, we're talking Dewsbury, some of the big big engine Cadillacs, the Correct. Lincolns. We're talking Marmons, Lincolns. Marmons, okay. Yeah, see, there were, there were only two 16-cylinder cars ever built, Marmon Ca and Cadillac. And Cadillac, right. Yeah. You know, so th those are those are really really spectacular cars. Mm -hmm. Cords, another uh, one. Cords, and of course they were all front wheel drive car right. cars, but they were all classics. Speaking of Cords, and mm -hmm. I know you're friends with Bill Jacobson, and we mm -hmm. can mention him on the air because he's a local guy. But sure. years ago, I was up in his uh, collection, and he had, if the story is true now, 
He had a Cord L29 up there mm-hmm. that was kind of a maybe a orangish yellowish kind of color, but mm-hmm. supposedly that was out of the Lloyd Wright estate. Do you remember that car back then? Because you were doing some stuff with him back then, weren't you? It was probably in the mid nineties. <laughs> Does that ring a bell? That car. You know, I'm just wondering if that's the car Al Wiseman ended up with. It's a beautiful car. I'm not real. I'm not real sure. I don't remember the specifically. Remember the car. Uh huh. Yeah. How about okay? So let's get it. And let's move up to let's say the fifties. What category do those cars fall into now? Well, those those cars uh, those cars all come into a, a category that's known as uh, uh, special interest cars. Special interest cars. Okay. And so there are no classic Mustangs, and there are no classic Thunderbirds, and you <laughs> forget and 57 all that. Fifty-seven Chevrolets, right? Ain't gonna happen. All right. Um, but um, but the cars of special special interest vehicles, here again, same criteria, and they're they're my, they're actually milestone cars, and they're certified milestone cars by the Milestone Car Club of America. Oh, okay. All right. So you can go online and pull up milestone cars, mm-hmm. and their cars of special interest. But they include, oh, the uh, like a '53 Packard and a '53 oh, Cadillac and a '55 like, Thunderbird. The, 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 El, the Eldorado. You know, we talked earlier about the about the, the most probably the most dynamic year in automotive history for American cars, 1953. Mm-hmm. But that has the Eldorado, the Fiesta. The, which was Oldsmobile, mm-hmm. the Skylark from Buick, cattle or uh, uh, Corvette was introduced that year, mm-hmm. and those were all, they were all convertible cars. They all had wire wheels except for the Corvette, and they were all part of General Motors' 50th anniversary. Packard introduced the Caribbean that year, beautiful car, and like I said, the car of the year that year was uh, the 1953 Studebaker Commander Hardtop Loy. It was built by Raymond Loy. And very but of all those great cars, that was the car was car of the year. Let's play uh, let's play some trivia and get rid of okay, this yeah. thing. Okay. All right. All right. Now all you guys out there, this is not a hard question, okay. and uh, so so somebody should be able to get this. Um, if you went if you were going to go in the dealership, the very last year that you went into a dealership, and on the option page when you were ordering your car and you were checking off all these things, what was the last car that had the option? Of a rumble seat. The last American-made car. That had a factory-optioned rumble seat. Okay. Now, if you guys know that answer, call in 441-3000 or call toll-free 866-826-1340 or email us at golfstreamradio at gmail.com. We're going to take a break for a second. We're going to play another song. Now, again, tell them one more time before the song what the question is. All right. The question is... The last American car that offered a rumble seat as an option from the factory. All right, we'll be right back.
sounds like we got a caller here. Uh, go ahead, sir. Hey, Robert. Robert, who's this? This is John Woodhouse. John Woodhouse. Hey, John, how you doing? You listening hey, to the show? Buddy. You know, Mr. Know-it-all. Mr. Know-it-all? He just got off the computer. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got the man there, John Hackett. Okay. I know he is. John, you know who this is? This is John Woodhouse. How you doing, Johnny? Hey, buddy, you bought my uh, 66 Eldorado. Oh, my goodness gracious. Remember that? I certainly do. Yeah, I remember you from that. I couldn't wait to call in here. I wow. you know, think I know everything there is to know about everything there is. <laughs> and uh, just ask me. I'll give you about a minute of what I know. But uh, <laughs> it should be a 36 Ford convertible, shouldn't it? No, come on. No. Oh, you mean you made them after that? They've co- you know what? I almost missed it, but I just happened to be. I just happened to know. Did so, you? Yeah. You want to give it? You want to think of it again? Come, come in. Move up a couple decades. Oh my God! You mean up in the into the fifties? Yep. Oh no, I would have missed that, man. I I don't know if I was even born then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you were street racing back then. You old you old timers, man. You all you all would know that question, not me. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, isn't it horrible. <laughs> oh. It's, it's crazy. All hey, right. John, it's good to hear you on there, man. We're liking what we hear here. Thanks, okay. John. I for listening. I appreciate you calling in. Glad, nice talking to you. It's been a long time. It has, and uh, yeah, I would, I'd want to say hi, and I figured this would be a good way to say hi to you. I've been trying you. to get on that show and just trying to find the time to do it. I want to help Robert out there a little bit. Well, he's. You know what? I think he's going to come around all right. I think <laughs> it's going to. I think it's going to work out for him. Yeah, he's doing a great job. I love listening to that couple of times I've missed it, but uh, I've been trying to get as much as I can. He's got some good guys on there. You're great, John. I mean, you're a real car guy, and you uh, really got the information down pat. Well, I do the best I can with what I can work with off this old bald head. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I'll uh, get off the phone here. I, I I can't wait to hear the answer. Okay, Thanks it's coming lot. up. we got another caller. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye. Okay. So anyway, um, listen, one thing we want to talk about, sure. about appraisals real quick. Appraisals, by the way, folks, appraisals aren't a guarantee of value. Um, what an appraisal does is guarantees condition. And especially if you have a stated value appraisal, if you look at your stated value policy, somewhere on there it's going to say you're paying a premium up to a stated value. If you have a loss, then you're going to have to prove condition and that's what an appraisal does. Over and above everything else, it, it guarantees the condition of your vehicle. And uh, don't, so don't be misled about what an appraisal really is. Okay, well, that's good. Hey, it looks like we're getting close to uh, our time thing here. So, John, do you want to go ahead and just... Uh, yeah, you know what? Me- I'm going to go on and give the answer, and I'm going to leave this with you, and you can okay. maybe give it to somebody next week. Okay, we'll do that. All we'll, right. give, we'll try it another and, time. Uh, see, if you, see if you can give it away. The last American car that offered... A rumble seat, folks, was a 1957 Thunderbird. It was a real honest-to-goodness factory option, and it was called the Bird's Nest. Hmm. Imagine that. How about that, John? You can go on the computer and you can look at that. You can look that up. Okay, a 57 Thunderbird. That's right. With a rumble seat. So, well, anyway, what else? Um, so if you were going to go, I mean, like, to encourage people to go out and buy cars, there's two types of buyer or three types. Let's just say, so you mm-hmm. got a guy that's going to go out there and he's going to buy a car from an investment perspective. Mm-hmm. Then he's buying 
an investment car. Then you've got the guy that's just looking for the car because he's an enthusiast. Correct. He likes the car. He wants a driver quality car. Right. So what are some of the th- so what is the distinctions there? You know, I mean, oh, is- well, there's a world there's a world of difference. So uh, uh, an investment quality car, number one, it has the provenance. It has the quality, impeccable quality. Generally. They are better than the day they rolled off the showroom floor. You've heard of over-restorations. That's why you never see a real, honest-to-God, number-one-condition car. They are reserved for that very few cars. The cars that go through Barrett-Jackson, all right, Mm -hmm. just one out of very few that go through there are going to be really number-one-condition cars. So, anyway... Uh, all that said and done, what was the other part of that? Okay, well, in other words, like the guy that's going to buy the driver quality car, right. other, he buys a car because it's kind of a unique car. It's rare. He likes it. He loves it. He's in love with it, and he's just he just wants to have fun with the it. The most expensive part of re, of fixing a vehicle is the body, mm-hmm. and over and above everything else, you make sure the bottom of the car is solid. The bottom of the, the car. The bottom of the car. And if you got to get under there and drag your big ass underneath it and, <laughs> and take a flashlight and look at every little corner of it, that's uh-huh. what you do. Because the bottom of the car means 100% of everything. In most cases, especially in a unibody car, um, that's the total structural integrity of the car. Yeah. Floor pans, everything's welded, frame rails, all that stuff. That's it. So, uh, uh, you know, you can fix an engine. You can put an interior. You can do all of that. But if you've got an exceptional body, you've got an exceptional car. So that guy that's that wants a specific car, he's buying a driver-quality car. Again, look at the body. Make sure. sure it runs and drives. So it's no different than his daily driver, but it's just he's got something rare and unique, and he can have a lot of fun with it. Well, he's got, he's got, some, he's got something that is, that's never going to beat him up on value right. because the, the, the quality of the solid body overextends everything else that mm-hmm. there is with a car. Well, John, you know what? We're just about out of time. Cool. I hate that when that happens. That don't you? Um, would you come back again? Sure. Because you know what? There's, it's kind of like information overload. You can't, th- talking about cars, values, a whole bunch of stories, it just takes hours and hours. And, hours. and of course, you had your show on for what, 10 years? Pretty close to it, yeah. You know, two, what, two, three hours at a time? Yeah, well, when I first started doing it by myself, it was three hours. Man, I'm going to tell you what, you don't think that's tough. <laughs> but uh, but then as I got in, and Ken Van Zyl uh, came on as my co-host for seven years, and mm-hmm. And it was really very special, and uh, and and we just uh, we had a spectacular time. So. Maybe I can get both you guys on sometime. Well, getting we'll me on is a heck of a lot easier than getting mm-hmm. him on. I'll tell you that. Well, I do want to thank you for coming on. Sure. And uh, our guest this evening was John Hackett. He's a local appraiser. Um, if you want to get a hold of him, you want to leave your number out there. Sure. Um, I, I tell you what, best thing to do is go to my website. It's classicautomotiveconsultants.com. And don't forget it. Classic Automotive Consultants. Dot com and there's a link there to my email and my phone number's on there. Very good. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I also want to thank some of our sponsors. Again, we've got uh, Jim and Sharon at Ice Cold Air, Discount Auto Repair. They're over on Court Street, 1188 Court Street in downtown Clearwater. Their phone number is 461-5727. They're still running their special this week. It's 1995 on the oil changes and free AC checks. So give them a call down there. And Lee, are you hungry as usual? Yep, you are. I, when was <laughs> I can see your tongue's hanging out of your head. But anyway, if you're down in Clearwater Beach, be sure and visit our friends at Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. Get a hold of Eddie or Turtle down there. Their number is, uh, if it's a local number, it's uh, 210-0988. 
They've got uh, great sandwiches. They got a great view. They're actually open. They actually serve breakfast, and then they close at two o'clock in the morning. So hey, you can go there all the time. Ooh. So that's Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach. Ask for Turtle or Kenny. Make sure you, heard, you tell them that you heard their uh, this ad on uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. They'll throw you a beverage. All right, two one zero zero nine eight eight. And of course, I'm a big pizza fan. It's Wednesday night. It's uh, pizza night for me. So my friends over at Bros Pizza buy it by the box, buy it by the slice. Have they got? You, they got all kinds of sandwiches and stuff like that. Give them a call over there, Bros Pizza, 441-6025. And, of course, I know there's a bunch of guys that are golfers. I like to drive around on the on the uh, driving range <laughs> and on the uh, course out there because I'm not a golfer, but I like sure. to drive, so I'll show for the guys. But, anyway, my friends Pete up at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, Newport Ritchie now. This is Magnolia Valley Golf Club in Newport Ritchie, 727-847-2342. That's Pete at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, so give him a call. And then I'm going to welcome another friend of mine that I haven't... Uh, I actually was in his little shop today. And this is the Rib Shack Barbecue over off West Bay Drive. 600 West Bay Drive in Largo, Florida. Their number is 501-9090. Go see my buddy Corey over there. You mention this name, you get a free drink also. But they got some of the best barbecue. That's Jamma Barbecue. That's Jamma. Oh. Oh, yeah, you used to go there because you used to live over Largo. Yeah. And, of course, if your car breaks down like mine has a tendency to do from time to time, you got to call Lefty at Kotaka's Towing. 447-1952. And uh, that's Kotaka's Towing, 447-1952. And, John, I guess we're just about out of time. So, I mean, we've got a few more. How much time we got left there, Lee? One minute. One, One minute. minute? Oh, you can burn a minute. All right. Well, at any rate, um, I guess uh, I want to thank everybody for, for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure to tune in next week. This is the AM 1340 Talk Radio Network. And uh, everybody keep it safe out there. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys sometimes at some of the car shows. Y'all take care of yourselves now. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Yeah. We chased our pleasures here.